Caution. Learning in progress. Welcome back to another episode of Smarter Every Season, podcast brought to you by Precision Planning's Product Support Department. So today, I'm joined remotely with, by Carl Dodge from Dodge Brothers Farm. Is that correct? Yeah, how you doing? I'm good. Welcome to the show. That is correct. This is Carl from Northeast Iowa. I have a YouTube channel called Dodge Brothers Farm and Ranch, and then I also do some Instagramming, and I've recently started some TikToking. And I also have been partnering with Precision this spring to talk about what we're doing with our planter. We've had a great time so far. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. So my goal, the reason I reached out to Carl was you did not start, you weren't born with a YouTube channel and a social presence. (laughs) No, I wasn't actually, you know, unlike everybody else, right? (laughs) So that's something you grew and curated into existence and it's, and it's a, lively activity for you now right yeah it does it's it just kind of started by accident and now it's morphed into a very large part of what i do you know a lot of people a lot of people i think are afraid to start like they think oh wouldn't it be cool to be a youtuber or wouldn't it be cool to have forty thousand followers on instagram or whatever but they're afraid to start from zero because they're looking at everybody else and not really realizing that even the guy with 50 million subscribers started with none, you know? So you got to be willing to start is the first thing, I guess. Yeah. But so, so that's why that, that process or that commitment to start and what you've learned through experience as you've gone along, that's where my heart was to, to share your learning with me and with, with our listeners. Cause I think that's something that as you build a brand, as you build awareness, those are key learnings that are pretty powerful. Yeah. I mean, you, it's you make mistakes along the way, just like you do in anything. And every one of those mistakes allows you to learn something that maybe you can use next time. And, you know, that applies to social media presence that applies to, I mean, obviously that applies to farming. That's what we're talking about all the time. Like when we were at the PTI farm, right? Like here we are trying to make some mistakes maybe so that we can learn what not to do or what actually worked that we didn't think was going to work. And it's the same way with social media too. So before we go all the way down the rabbit trail of the social media, tell me about Dodge Brother Farm. Dodge Brothers Farm, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of a twisted it's kind of a twisted web because when you talk about Dodge Brothers, if you're talking about social media, it's really just me. <laughs> but if you're ta- and and that's that's kind of deceiving because of the name and I guess I'll come around the other direction to explaining that in a bit. But my brother and I, my brother is 3 years younger than me and we are the only two kids that my parents had and so we grew up farming with dad, uh following him around trying to do everything that he did. And both of us grew up, I think, with the assumption that we were just going to, you know, skip college and go straight into taking over dad's farm. But what we didn't realize was, you know, 200 owned acres and 350 to 400 rented acres and 35 cows was not going to support three families in the year 2007 when we would have all needed to be supported by this one little farm. And that was a hard pill to swallow. And in fact, I went off to college with, 
the idea that I wasn't going to get to farm. You know, I had pretty much thrown my hands up and given up on it. And I thought, well, there's not enough room for me here. And I'm going to go off to college and get a degree and try to do something else and forget about this whole farming thing. And I tried to do that. I went to the University of Iowa, which a lot of my farm friends in the state of Iowa love to give me a bad time for, you know, because that's not where the farmers go. Believe it or not, they go to Iowa State. (laughs) So I'm always flying the wrong flag. I have heard there's a bit of a rivalry there. I'm not from Iowa, but I do know enough to know there's a rivalry there. (laughs) There is a little bit of a rivalry. So so I went to Iowa and I graduated with a degree in psychology (laughs) and I thought I was going to be a state patrol So I'd ridden with some of those guys. I did the whole application process and got all the way to the end and got the door slammed into my face when I was pretty much told that I already had the job. And so I was like, man, what am I going to do now? Um, So I moved back home and I just got a random job to pay the bills. And while I was doing that job, I ran into a friend of mine that I had known in high school and they said, hey, you know, Uh, you don't seem to really like your job. And I'm like, well, it's really not, you know, I'm just kind of paying the bills until I figure out what I'm going to do. And they said, hey, uh, the farm that my husband works at is looking for a full-time guy to replace his dad. And what do you think about farming? And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. That's, That's what I wanted to do my entire existence. And I hadn't even thought about it, you know, until right now, because I didn't think there's any way I could do it. So I have been farming as an employee of another farm here um, in Northeast Iowa, a corn, soybean, and hog farm since spring of 2009. It's been a long time now, Paul. Um, And likewise, my brother is also working for another guy. So I'm sure everybody's still wondering how we get back to the Dodge Brothers. What in the world is that? Well, so the two of us uh, basically – ran into some free acres of hay, uh, waterways, some things that nobody wanted to mow, uh, and then some some pretty cheap rent on some other not perfect hay ground. And we just started slowly baling hay in the summertime. You know, at first it was, here's a 10-acre thing here, and then here's another 15 acres. And between my brother and me and my dad, we just about do 100 acres of grass hay in the summer now. So we've got cattle customers we've got horse and pony customers we eventually my brother and i bought a small group of cows and we've started to keep back some of our own heifers and and uh, resurrected an old pasture down to dad's that had been abandoned for almost a decade and we're just kind of you know slowly without any debt and with the time that we have available after our real jobs which sometimes isn't much we're just kind of building our own thing um scaling it as we have time and money to do so so i guess you would call that the american dream right yeah you're in the in the growth stage you're you're feeding passion into your work and 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 you work away from your farm as well as your farm activities where does yeah where does time to do video work fall fall in there well well, if I would have started at the scale that I'm doing it right now, there never would have been time. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of a mirror of my farming operation with my brother as well as my social media operation. You know, we started, we literally just started, it was like, oh, hey, um, here's this waterway we could bail and nobody's doing it and it's just going to get chopped. And so we borrowed dad's mower and we didn't own any of our own equipment. I didn't, we were even renting a house. My wife and I, we didn't have a a quote unquote farm or any place to store anything. 
So we sold like, I don't know, 16 round bales the first year and thought it was the greatest thing ever. And every year, for the most part, we started doing just a little bit more than before. And that's exactly how my social media is working. The way I started the quote unquote Dodge Brothers social media channel is my cousin came to visit from Ohio in the fall of 2018. And she had texted me and said, hey, my kids have never seen a farm and you work on a farm and we're going to be going through for a wedding. It'd be great if we could stop and, you know, see harvest. And I said, man, one of my favorite things is showing people harvest and please stop. It'll be great. I guarantee the 13th or 14th of October we'll be harvesting. Well, that was the famous last words, Paul. You should never Uh, guarantee anything. Because we got eight inches of rain (laughs) (laughs) and there was water running down the ditches and part of our cornfields were underwater and the combine was in the shed. So they came to visit and I showed them the machine. I said, Hey, here's, you know, what the combine is and tried to briefly show them the different parts of it and how it works. And, you know, to a six year old boy and a three year old girl, that wasn't very exciting. You got to see something actually happening. No. So I told him, well, I really apologize. This is too bad the way this went. I'm going to try to make some sort of a little video on my phone so that you can see how it works. I'll point it at the corn head and I'll point it in the tank and I'll point it at the grain auger and stuff. And, and you can see how this all works. And I said, I'll try to do that. So I did that one afternoon while I was combining and it was a terrible video. In fact, it's not even on the Dodge Brothers channel. It's on another channel that I, that I had before I started this one. Um, I should actually dig that out. Wouldn't that be fun this harvest <laughs> to throw out that first terrible video? I think it was all vertical. I think I was holding my phone the wrong way. Flashbacks <laughs> so, of it, yeah. So I, yep. But anyway, I posted that uh, to YouTube because I tried to email it to her and send it to her a few different ways, and the file was too big. So I just posted it on YouTube and sent her the link. And I don't even know how people found it, but like 50, 75 people watched it. And I thought, man, this is crazy. You know, I can't believe... <laughs> 75 people have watched this and people were commenting like, Oh, how does this work? And how does the grain cart work? And so I said, well, I'll make another video or maybe two more. And then after harvest, I think there was, I want to say there was maybe 750 subscribers to the channel. And, and people were like, what are you going to do after harvest? Are you going to keep going? And I'm like, well, I guess I, I think I am. And yeah, it's just, well, I am now. I, know. <laughs> I think there's 30,000 YouTube subscribers now. And, um, and I've gotten pretty active in Instagram, and that's been really cool, too. So, yeah, it was just one of those things that I didn't really even intend to do. I just kind of stumbled into it, as a lot of people often find passions and hobbies that they have just by accidentally trying something that they never thought of. So that's kind of how we got where we are now. So this is Uncle Carl capturing a video <laughs> for, for nieces and nephews to share what he does, what what makes him happy in his life, and, he, and the lack of we send it or box transfer youtube was the simplest way to get the video across and <laughs> yeah and yep. then like that that yep. opened the door a crack and just your commitment to be consistent and engage with it instead of backing away from it that that exactly and you know thinking about it right now uh through the lens that you're talking about with you know how people can you know and maybe some people that we're talking to are thinking I'm not even comfortable getting myself on video and talking and the idea of people watching it and stuff. I guess maybe the reason that that never even crossed my mind in the beginning was because I didn't, I wasn't really planning to talk to an audience of 10 or 20,000 or whatever. I was planning 
to just talk to my cousin about this and, you know, her little family. And I thought, you know, there wasn't any pressure at all, a pressure to succeed or fail because there was no metric to measure whether you're succeeding or failing. I was trying to make one video, you know, <laughs> so so I guess a lot of times I feel like we're our own worst enemy, Paul. You know what I mean? I get it. And so when you're capturing a video back, are you still in, in your mind thinking the person on the other side of the camera is niece and nephew? That's I'm talking to them. Yeah, I mean, I was just yeah, exactly. Yep. I wasn't trying to explain it to a general population. I wasn't I wasn't trying to think about, oh, what if I say this and this kind of person is offended by that? I was just like, hey, look at this. Like this is and, you know, the more I talked, the more I started to realize that 90 percent of the stuff I was talking about, they weren't going to have any clue what I was saying. So, you know, we were combining along and I'm like, oh, you know, when I cross the waterway, I got to be careful to, you know, not get the to not get the grass wrapped around the snoots on the cornhead and and damage them. And and then I was like, good grief. They don't know what snoots are and they don't know what a waterway is or what the purpose is. So then I'd start explaining what a waterway was. And I don't know, that's I kind of think that's what people started to dig from the beginning was, man, you know, we don't know any of this stuff. And now we're learning and, and being entertained, I guess, because no matter how polished and professional I try to be, I still end up, you know, crashing my four wheeler through the back window of my pickup or something. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we, we live life and life is not perfect. No, that's, it would be boring if it was perfect. That's the, the stub toes and the scars are the fun parts. Those are the good stories. That's right. Exactly. They're never fun while they're happening, but the stuff that is the least amount of fun in the moment is the most amount of fun five or 10 years down the road when you're looking back on it and laughing at it around the dinner table, you oh, know? Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the, the key is in the middle of it to stop, take this deep breath and be like, I'm going <laughs> to laugh at this someday. Right now is not now, <laughs> but yeah, that helps. And you know, I've had people say, one of the compliments that I get a lot, and I'm a type of a person that I'm not comfortable with compliments. I just, I don't know how to react, but one of the most common compliments I was getting for a while was, man, we really appreciate your upbeat attitude. And, you know, there's no swearing on your channel and the kids can watch it. And we, uh, you know, you're always just so positive. And I started to think about that and I'm like, well, I do a lot of editing, don't I, Paul? <laughs> because there's, uh, you know, when you're working cattle this morning, I was just trying to make an Instagram clip, and I had to get a, uh, I had to grab a mooing, a cow's mooing sound clip, and basically block out some words that were said by some people while we were working the cattle, because the video clip was too valuable to let go, but I couldn't have that word in the middle of the video clip because my audience has come to know that it's going to be a clean channel. Their kids can watch it and things, anything that we do, there's not going to be anything that you can't let your kids watch. It's not made for kids, especially if YouTube is listening, because that's a big thing. Now, if you're making content directly for kids, that changes the entire way that your channel works. Um, you can, you cannot, you cannot monetize your channel. In other words, you can't get ad revenue if you are making content directly for kids, and if if you do, it's a lot harder to. So every time I make a video, they say, is this made for kids? And I say, no, it's not, because by their own rule book that you read, if the primary target audience isn't children under 12, then it's considered not made for kids. But that was a 
you want to talk about rabbit holes. Yeah, <laughs> no, but that's good. I mean, hole. that's a good call out to know, like when you're creating content, your content is going to be shared. And, and so I doing some homework, doing some research. I play a couple of your, of your videos and not having watched any of them, I, I knew from our previous conversation on the phone, it would be safe, but it's on our kitchen counter. My computer's yep. out and I'm playing it and the audio's there and I've got four kids that are running around like chaos. One of them is just trying not to like, eat a Lego and, but they're going <laughs> to be there and they're going to overhear it. And those kids hear everything. You think they're oh, you're, yeah. you're being sneaky and you whisper into your wife. No, they hear it. So like, yeah. it's got to be clean enough that you can have those conversations, have that playing for your audience not knowing who's going to be in the background and, and it doesn't have to be for kids, but it's got to be safe to play with kids. Right. Yeah. And that's the way I want to do it. And you know, people, when people say, Oh, you're so positive about everything and, and you never seem upset. And, and I guess the reason for that is I'm, I'm just like everybody else. I get really mad sometimes, especially when I do something really dumb and it costs a lot of money or it costs a lot of time. But for some reason, I don't film those events all the time. I, I oftentimes film the aftermath of those events, but sometimes when something like that is happening, like I would have loved it if I could have had a camera set up when that four-wheeler went through the back window of my pickup. But <laughs> but uh, that would have been great to have on film, uh, and people would have known once and for all that I'm not always super positive and super happy about everything. <laughs> but, you know, those are the moments that, you, most of the times when something like that happens, you're just not filming. And then it's not like I'm going to grab my camera right when I'm really mad and like get an image of myself being really mad. Cause the first thing you do is you breathe for a little bit. You're like, well, what are we going to do now? And then, you know, maybe the next morning I'm like, I can't, I got to show you guys what I did. And that's when I film it and I seem upbeat about it, but I don't know. I think people get the wrong idea sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Unless those are, are, anecdotally caught or just incidentally caught you it's it's hard because you're prepared you're focused yeah. you're intent on capturing something when you go forward to do the capture so, right exactly yep but that leads to you said you were editing out the the expletive so you could salvage <laughs> the moo uh, yep how much editing time do you do so this is something i wish i wouldn't have started the way that i did because i started I guess with the exception of maybe those first couple of videos, every time I did a video, I learned a couple more editing tricks that just really made things a lot more smooth transitions and audio and stuff. And I have kind of brought people to expect a fairly high level of editing. Whereas some people's channels, you can tell that all they did was load in all the clips and just paste them together and maybe cut out some boring stuff. And then just, there it is. Uh, but I probably spend to make a 12 to 15 minute YouTube video. I probably spend a grand total of somewhere between four and six hours of editing. For how part long of that again? is four to six, four hours. To six hours for a, for a 15 minute video. Probably part of that is, and that doesn't include the time that it takes to move cameras around and do filming and different things. But the, I got to bring all the footage into my editor from different cameras and, and cards and my drone and everything. And different people have different methods of how they put a video together. A lot of people have a vlog style format where they're just every day, they're kind of talking through, Hey, this is what we're doing today. And then they show little bits of it. And that's very easy to edit. I like to do that fairly 
you know, sometimes I like to do that. And sometimes I like to do on topic videos, which people really like. And those are harder to do because you're filming, you know, maybe bits and pieces of that over a couple of weeks. And if you're going to talk to somebody about some stuff and get some information, and then you might have to even, you know, this is kind of an insider secret. I don't know if I should share this, but you might even have to go back and film something pretending that it happened before something else happened. Like if I want the storyline to flow, <laughs> you're, you're going to cost, you're going to laugh your coffee out. If I want the storyline to flow and I'm going through all of my footage that I've got captured for a specific video, and just as an example, let's say we're working cattle and I start at a point that doesn't make sense. And people are like, well, how, you know, how did we get here? If I'm editing and I'm like, man, there is a major gap in the storyline. I have actually gone as far as to look at my footage and say, okay, I was wearing this shirt, this hat. Uh, I was standing in front of this barn. The sun was coming from the east. It was morning. And I'll go back the next morning, stand in the exact same place and be like, all right, we're going to hop in the truck, take the cattle shoot down to dad's and get set up to work cattle. And that little, you know, those little things make a story arc that people can follow. And so those kinds of videos where it's, where it's footage gathered over, you know, four or five days, and you're trying to bring it all together into one cohesive story. Those take a long time to edit. So, for for each minute or a fifteen minute podcast or uh, video that you're going to put on, how much actual capture time do you have involved in that? It's more than just the fifteen. Oh, that's minutes. a good. Yeah, that's a good question. I probably start usually when I get all the footage loaded in. I usually start with somewhere around an hour to an hour and 15 minutes worth of footage to narrow down. And part of that is just because, you know, you set up a camera for a certain shot and it might be rolling for five minutes before you drive across in front of it with the tractor, but you've just got it out there ready to go. If I have drone footage, usually most of those clips are pretty long. They're probably usually 10 or 15 minutes because I just start the start the recording on the drone right when I take off and then I shut it off when I bring it down because I've made the mistake before of pushing record when I thought I was pushing stop and pushing stop when I thought I was pushing record and I got back and I was so excited about this drone footage like a one one time event that I couldn't go back and recreate and I was like this is I'm so glad I was able to fly this Paul it's gonna be so good and then I look at it and I'm like oh I've got a two-minute video of my leg walking out to where I started flying the drone, and, and then you, I have nothing else. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, yeah, you want to get your record and your stop straight. Yes. You want That's one thing you want to have. <laughs> mind your P's and Q's yeah. and your record and stop. So I've taken notes here, and, and just doing the math here, you're probably 25 minutes of back-end process and 5 to 10 minutes of front end and prep and capture so that's about 30 to 35 minutes of effort for every minute of video that goes out yeah it's pretty it is pretty substantial i've never really thought about it like that um you know and that's just another thing to bring up you don't have to you know people get all wound up about the gear oh what kind of gopro should i get what kind of mounts should i get what kind of drone should i get and i didn't have anything except my phone for the first nine months to a year of doing this, I think it was fall harvest of 19 when I bought my first GoPro. Listen to me, my first GoPro. It's my only GoPro. I only have one. <laughs> I'm going to buy probably a couple of more this fall or this winter because, you know, 
if I want to get seven or eight different angles of the combine, I got to stop, get out, move that camera to a different spot, make sure it's going to, you know, the lighting's going to work and it's going to focus on what I want. And it takes a lot of time to get those clips recorded. Sometimes it doesn't work out. I got a buddy who's got four identical GoPros and magnet mounts, and he just slaps all those on and he can, you know, combine for 60 seconds, move his cameras once and have eight different angles of the combine running. I mean, that's, I got to just, I'm going to have to go ahead and do that because I'm at the point now where time is more scarce than cash. So I could grab a couple more old GoPros and, uh, and do it that way. But like I say, you don't have to have anything other than your phone. That's what a lot of people use. I was in fact, I didn't even have a mount for my phone for the first six months. I was just taking zip ties and I would (laughs) zip tie my phone to the, uh, to the sun visor in the pickup and I could aim it at myself. And then while I was driving down the road, I would talk to that. And then in the tractor, I would zip tie it or use like a, one of my wife's hair ties to mount it onto the rear view mirror in the tractor. Why can't I find I mean, it, it in my hair extremely, ties? It was extremely, yeah, she was not happy. It was extremely low budget and, and the quality, you know, was great for what I was working with. It just, you just don't have to be wound up about all the little things that can make a mountain of excuses for you to not even try something. Yeah, I think that's where I wanted, why I was building that list and jotting down the numbers of time that you were doing. I mean, you didn't start there, and the reason you've gotten to that level, or the reason you've hit that level of, I'm going to put 30 minutes of edit time in, and I've, I'm going to get some magnet mounts and more cameras because you've raised your expectation to match your growing audience, but you, you right. started yep. with the bare necessities and just a drive and a commitment to do. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, everybody has their own preferred platform. I started out on YouTube for the reasons that we discussed. And then when I met some other YouTubers and I was like, man, I want to, you know, communicate with you guys more regularly. And I found out all of these people who have a large following are pretty much talking to people every day on Instagram or Facebook stories or something like that. Because, you can do that in real time. You know, that's Instagram is something that does not take a huge time commitment at all. Like I'll be literally walking to do the next thing. I'll just pick up my phone and I'll say, Hey, I'm on the way to take the cattle shoot down to dad's and we're going to vaccinate cows tomorrow. And then the uh, CDC will put a warning at the bottom of my Instagram story because I said the word vaccinate. But uh, anyway, I'm not I'm not kidding. People love that. It's a source of laughter. A lot of people love to mention, hey, Carl, you got the warning label on there. And I didn't even realize I said the word, but yeah. that's the hot word. But so, yeah, you just on the way to do something. There you go. And you hit upload and it's immediately there for people to view. People are watching what you're doing just seconds or minutes after you did it. Uh, and those are the types of communication that are extremely low impact on your time. There's no editing at all. If you don't want to, you just capture the clip, hit upload and away you go. And then people are commenting and asking questions and you can, you can direct message back and forth with them, or you can just make a, a lot of times if I have some enough people ask the same question, I'll just make another quick little clip. And yeah, it's just, it's a little more conversational than YouTube. YouTube is a little more, I'm presenting this to you. Mm -hmm. So so we in the farming industry are notoriously bad at a work-life balance. 
uh-huh. because <laughs> often in the farming industry, work and farm and life are all tied together. As you've grown from shooting a couple videos, zip tying your phone to the to the rearview mirror, to now where you're, you're you're dedicating thirty to thirty five minutes, and you're opening up additional platforms where you're engaging. How does Carl balance engaging in in work in work? farm and social media and you know the kids going to school and mom making dinner and and how how do you how do you balance it well i'm not, i'm not sure i do like <laughs> if we if we had my wife sitting here in, ask, answering these questions with me i mean uh she would keep me honest here and she would say that there's a lot of times where you know she might say something like, Hey, could you just like put down your phone for a second and go jump on the trampoline with your kids? And, and, you know, there's always this sense of urgency, like, Oh, I got to get this video done. I got, I got to get it on YouTube by four o'clock on a Saturday or whatever you've set for yourself. But sometimes you just got to, you know, let your phone battery die and (laughs) go put it on the charger and go live your life for a while. I was actually recently able to meet in person, a couple of people that I've been friends with on Instagram for a little over a year, maybe, I think, Josh and Mary Pat Sass from Illinois, and they're a great couple. I love those two. We share a passion for dad jokes and dumb humor, Josh and I do, (laughs) (laughs) and um, so I started following her by accident, and then her and me and her husband, we've kind of all become pretty good friends online, and we were able to meet them on our vacation sit down, have some pork chops at their house. And, uh, it happened to be my birthday. So she made the big pan of brownies and I blew out a candle and we had a great time. It was, it was really fun, but that was one of the questions that came up was, you know, Josh asked her because Josh is not the social media person in their family. His wife, Mary Pat is. And so Josh asked my wife, he said, so what do you think of all of this social media stuff? And she said, well, first I wasn't sure. Um, and, the the side income is really nice, but once in a while, I just have to, you know, remind him that he needs to put the phone down and live life for a second. And you just have to remember that, you know, you can get so busy trying to show your life that you forget to enjoy it yourself and be a part of it. Yeah, that's a hard balance. It is. And it's really, you know, part of the part of the farm life, work life balance that you're kind of talking about. Yeah. Where do you draw the line between work and life on an, on a farm? Because I remember as a kid, you know, Saturdays were not driving around, going out for ice cream and going to the swimming pool days. Saturdays were, hey, we've got the kids home. We're going to go fix this yep. section of creek fence <laughs> up at the pasture. And But in the process of doing that, and it, it was often something I hated doing, you know, you're sweating to death, you're getting you know, chased around by mosquitoes under the bridge and the creek. And, but, you know, then it would, you'd have these moments of maybe 20 minutes where all of a sudden everybody just start throwing water at each other and messing around and laughing and having a good time. Mom would bring up some cookies and, and some lemonade or something. We'd stop and take a little break on the bridge and laugh and talk. And there's just, like you said, there's so much of it where you're like, all right, where does the work stop? And where does the life start? Because they seem to be blended together. Exactly. You know, not to, not to steal your host duties, but I just thought of, you know, as we were kind of going down the list here of, you know, things that might prevent somebody from starting to engage on social media, you've got your money invested in equipment, 
that you maybe don't even need. You've got your fear of being in front of an audience and you've got your, you know, how do I have time to do this? You know, one of the things that I think if you're going to try to start doing something, just try to start doing it regularly and it doesn't have to be big. And if you're not comfortable showing your face, you know, don't show your face for a while. A lot of people have a lot of great content where they're just holding their phone and their Instagram story might just be a picture of a row of corn and the ears are, you know, really uneven or they're really even. And they've got a caption on there that says, Oh, this was planted on whatever date and a little background music behind it. There's a lot of great content that you don't have to talk at all. You know, you can show pictures of what you're doing. You can, you can just show quick little video clips of something that's happening and you don't have to be narrating it or talking at all. Everybody has their own comfort level. And some people's comfort level is just, is just following other people on social media and sharing their stories and sharing their stuff that they find interesting. A lot of times I'll see somebody's post. There's this guy, Bushel Billy has a lot of really good posts on Instagram. And once in a while, I'll just share one of his posts for my people to see. Cause I think what he said was so good or the point that he was making or the education he was giving was so good. That's something you can do. Anybody can do that. If you're not comfortable being the center of attention, take other people's content and share it in ways that it's meant to be done on the app. Don't ever screen record somebody's thing and put it up like it's your own (laughs) content. But you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of platforms where sharing other people's content is built into the platform. That's something you should be doing. So yeah, I just, I just encourage people to find their own comfort level. Everybody has something to talk about. And one thing that gets in my head all the time is nobody's going to care about this thing. Nobody wants to hear this story. This is boring. But those are the things that oftentimes surprise me and people are like, man, I never would have thought of that. And I'm just like, I cannot believe you care about this. I wasn't going to post it, but I did. And a lot of people are into it. So, so yeah, the whole negative self-talk of nobody cares what I'm doing. Nobody wants to hear my story. That's absolutely incorrect because what is the percentage now of people who have no ties or any involvement to a farm? Is it like, what, like 98% of Americans have no ties to a farm. And a lot of times the industry can portray these people as hostile towards agriculture. Uh, but a lot of, a lot of times I've found that they just really want to know, you know, they have no way of finding any of these things out. And if we're not going to explain to them how their food is made or what we're doing or why we're doing things a certain way, they're going to get it from, you know, fake news sources that don't know what they're talking about. So we are the ones that should be telling the story. Yeah, it's better when, when we can tell our own story and the, and the why behind what we do. Because most people, you, you hit the nail on the head of most people throughout the, like we'll use the U.S. for example, the, most of the people in the U.S., their closest proximity that they've gotten to a farm is a petting zoo. And that's not, that's not what yeah. you do on a farm. No. A petting zoo and a farm are two completely different animals. Definitely. And you know, you like that. And (laughs) that that was a good one. The, uh, did you hear about the guy that swallowed like 14 plastic horses, went to the hospital and, uh, I mean, they admitted him, but he's in stable condition. (laughs) 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 Sorry, not sorry, Paul. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly what it was you were just saying that triggered this in my mind, but in terms of dealers, you know, and their content, 
I've found that, especially with sponsored content, which as a dealer, whenever you're talking about the stuff that you're selling, that comes off as sponsored content in a way. People will not pay any attention to you if every post that you make is about, hey, look at this furrow force, look at this reveal row cleaner, this is why you should have this, this is why John Deere row units are not as good as, you know, the precision row unit. Like, people will, it's the old, nobody cares what you know until they know how much you care or whatever. But people will get the idea that they're just being sold to. And if you want to build a relationship with people virtually through social media, the best way to do that is to just present yourself every day doing something. And you kind of talked about it earlier about people posting regularly and people kind of become familiar with you. And there's a story arc. There's not going to be a story arc if you just post every couple of days and it's like, Oh, look at this promotion or look at this thing. The story arc is people actually getting to know you. That's, that's the thing that drives return subscribers and return viewers to come back and watch you every single week. It's not the tractor that you're showing off or the planter that you're showing off. That's a lot of times what draws people into a farming channel is, wow, look at that thing that they're demoing on the farm. I want to watch that. But what people, what keeps people coming back every day or every week is they get to know you and your personality and they start to feel like you're a friend and they want to see what their friend is doing today. And so it's more about, yeah, it's more about you as a person and your, and your story than it is about the, the stuff that you're doing or the stuff that you have. I love that you've switched it on, turned it on its head and that your, you view it as a relationship. You use the word relationship once you're forming a relationship with your viewers. It's not, you know, I'm going to be selling. It's not the, you know, the, the all one direction, even though you're creating content and putting it out, you're getting feedback and you're viewing the content and the, the entire social platform as a relationship, as a conversation, which is going to be two ways. You're going to get feedback. You're going to respond. You're going to grow and raise expectations of outputs and focus on things that you wouldn't have thought were valuable, but there's a, there's a feed or a desire from your viewers for that. So I love the, the exactly the viewpoint that it's a relationship. Yeah, it really is. Just like as a dealer, you have a, some sort of a relationship with the people that you're selling to on a regular basis. They come back to you, you know, to your shop or to buy parts and stuff. And they call you when they're having trouble. And the reason that they do that is not, is not because of the product itself necessarily. It's because they think, Hey, this guy is going to steer me in the right direction about which kind of row cleaner wheel I need. Do I need the shark tooth? Do I need the fingers? You know, I'm getting pressured one way or the other, and I'm going to call my precision guy and ask him, hey, what's going to be the best in my soil? Because you have a relationship with that guy. If something goes wrong with your 2020, they're going to call you because they think that you know what it takes to diagnose it and fix it. And when was the if last you time built you... a relationship with them, I'm going back to that guy because I trust him, right? It's it's not the yep. salesman part. It's the yeah, it really it really is. And you know, not to mention any brands, but we buy four or five different brands of seed corn, and one of the smaller brands that we buy from, I feel like they have the best salesman that we've ever worked with. I mean, he is very good at 
agronomic stuff. He'll come out and check on your corn and look at hail damage with you and give you advice on, you know, maybe we should be spraying fungicide on this. Maybe we've, you know, he'll help you put up beetle traps and figure out what your rootworm game plan is. And he knows a lot of stuff, puts out a newsletter every week. Like I said, if it was just based off the products, then your favorite salesman would be the guy that sells the product that you buy 60% of your acres. But it's about the interaction, the the steadiness and continuousness of the interaction, you know, I mean, sometimes you only see a guy once a year when it's time to pay the bill and get the seed. Yeah. But this guy's on the phone with us every week, checking in, how's things going, anything we can do for you. And you know, it is, it's that constant interaction that builds trust. He's invested in your situation. It's not, it's not a selling action. His role is as a salesman, but he's taken that to be I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to become a value add to Carl's business. So exactly, yeah, that's yep, yeah. yep. He was he was actually the first one of the first guys that ordered a flagging kit from me when we rolled out the precision flagging kits this spring. I was nice. like, hey, everybody, order a kit. He sends me a picture of ordering his kit. I'm like, right on, buddy, right on. Nice. Well, I have I have stolen. Um, or, or used, uh, I think probably most of our allotted time that I that I wanted to steal out of your Friday <laughs> afternoon. Um, I do really appreciate you coming on. Before I let you go, I got to hear your your second best because I've already heard one, but I got to hear your second best dad joke. My second best dad joke. Oh, the <laughs> list is so the list is so long. But here's my most favorite one. It just came out last week on my calendar, and I. You I don't want dad to skip joke over calendar? this Yeah, I do. Every I day dad I flip joke over envy. a new dad joke. <laughs> Every day I flip over a new dad joke, but this one was August 10th, and this is probably my favorite dad joke that I've ever heard. All right. I recently took a poll and found out that 100% of occupants are angry when their tent collapses. <laughs> <laughs> took a poll, Paul. I, I got, took a poll. I got, I got. <laughs> when I was reading this, when I was reading this, I was like, oh, man, they spelled poll wrong. This is a garbage calendar. And then I read it and I just died laughing. It was so good. That's but, cool. yeah, some have accused me of some have accused me of having a, a lame sense of humor. But, uh, oh, here's another great one. A man tried to sell me a coffin today, but I told him that's the last thing I need. Yes. <laughs> Now I'm keeping you, Paul. I apologize. <laughs> this is worth it. Carl, <laughs> um, before we go, uh, let our listeners know where they can find you and follow you and keep along with the conversation with you and in your relationship. You bet, man. Uh, on YouTube, it's Dodge Brothers Farm and Ranch. Generally, by the time you get done typing Dodge Brothers Farm, that'll be the one that comes up in Google. Uh, on Instagram, it's Dodge Brothers Farm with the at symbol before it, you know, at Dodge Brothers Farm, and that's the same on TikTok. And then on Twitter, it's at Dodge Bros Farm because I couldn't have the entire Dodge Brothers Farm because Twitter would not allow me that many characters. What do you think about that? You had to sacrifice <laughs> the theirs from bro. I did. <laughs> I did. Maybe I should shorten the other ones so they match. Uh, anyway, you'll probably be putting it in the description anyway. People will see it there. We so. will absolutely have those added into the episode notes, so open up the episode notes, and we'll have links that you can directly follow if typing them into the search engine is too hard. Awesome. I can't wait to meet all you guys. There you go. That's what you need. So everybody that is listening, please pop on and, and 
take a look and listen to what Carl has to say and the life he's going through and sharing there. I really appreciate you sharing your experience here and letting us take a look in as you've gone from zip ties to drones and uh, <laughs> hair ties to you know, the whole range. So I think, I think it's been a really valuable conversation. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. It was an honor to be here, and, uh, and it was a lot of fun. Thanks. So to our listeners, if you have any extra questions that we can pass along or, or get to Carl or uh, feedback for us as we do our job on Smarter Every Season, please let us know at smartereveryseason at precisionplanning.com. We'd be glad to help and improve based off that feedback. Um, that is kind of our goal here is we just want to keep getting a little better every season.